100% born in the Appalachian Mountains and made in the USA, Timber Ninja Outdoors provides a range of mobile hunting options to accommodate diverse hunting preferences. Whether you prioritize comfort, lightweight design, or versatility, their two-panel and single-panel saddles collection has something for everyone. The Black Belt Nano is the lightest single-panel saddle available on the market, weighing in under a pound. The saddle is designed with the minimalist hunter in mind, focusing on lightweight functionality and breathability. One notable feature is the patent-pending magnetic stick clip system on the side, which allows for convenient transportation of sticks up the tree, as well as a built-in platform holder. The Nano Saddle can be folded up to the size of a Nalgene bottle, enabling easy portability. With a four-way stretch material on the back for a comfortable fit, as well as strategically placed padding for hip pinch relief. You can use code EASTMEETSWEST to get free shipping on any Timber Ninja order. If you try it out and don't like it, send it back within 30 days for a full refund. Learn more at TimberNinjaOutdoors.com and sign up for their email newsletter for exclusive discounts and product drops. When it comes to optics, I get the same question over and over again. What are the best all-around binoculars? Well, it's tough to find something that works in every condition great, but after using a pair of Maven B1.2 10x42s, I think I found them. They feature an 8x or a 10x option, superior low light performance, tack sharp edge-to-edge clarity, a generous depth of field, and a silky focus mechanism. All of Maven Optics have a lifetime no-fault warranty and hail from the great state of Wyoming. I've been using Maven Optics since I bought my first pair in 2017, and I think you should test them out for yourself. Head over to mavenbuilt.com and use the code EASTMEETSWEST-GIFT for a free gift with any full price optics order. For all of those that want a truck bed cover for work or play, Diamondback makes the top of the line heavy duty covers that help you do more with your truck. They're perfect for the truck owning, avid sportsmen, outdoor enthusiasts, and weekend project warriors. I'm currently using the HD cover that can is capable of holding up to 1,600 pounds on the top. And then I have the Yakima overhaul HD bars on top so I can put my rooftop tent on it. When I'm not using my rooftop tent and able to use the trifold design of the Diamondback, I have the Crossbin 8 in there to organize all of my stuff in the back of my truck bed. Diamondback is made right here in Phillipsburg, Pennsylvania. If you want to check them out, head over to diamondbackcovers.com. If you've wanted that hunting camp tradition that we talk about, that experience, but you don't have a hunting camp of your own, you're welcome to come stay at my hunting camp up here in the Pennsylvania wilds called the Elk Crossing Getaway in the PA wilds. So if you go over to Airbnb, you can check out our three-bedroom, one-and-a-half-bath house that's right in the heart of Pennsylvania elk country. It's only minutes away from a bunch of public land to be able to hunt, hiking trails, outdoor recreation, fishing, all of those things there. The house is completely fully stocked with everything that you need to be able to, to spend a week hunting deer, taking your family up to see the elk, anything like that. So if you head over to Airbnb and search Elk Cross and Getaway in the PA Wilds, you'll find my listing there and you can rent out my house to send us a message and inquiry that you're interested in it and mention that you heard it on the podcast here, then we'll get you 10% off of your first day. Are you an adventurer looking to take your hunt to the next level? Then you're in the right place. Welcome to East Meets West Hunt with your host, Bo Martonic. 
Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the East Meets West Hunt podcast presented by Spartan Forge. On today's episode, I have a special guest, Zach Farrenbaugh from The Hunting Public, coming back on again on the show. So Zach's style of ground hunting is unique and extremely effective. So Zach, we talk about hunting overlooked spots, identifying hot sign, how far to push, still hunting on the ground, and realistic calling techniques that work even in highly pressured areas. And this is all associated basically around the rut. And this is, I split this up in the two episodes like I did last week. This one was over a two-hour episode, so I split it up. This is part one, and part two will come out later this week with some other stuff that's associated with the rut, some really good information. And of course, Zach's always high energy, passionate about talking about these things. I love talking to Zach and uh, being able to learn so much from him. On this week's Mountain Buck Monday story of the week, we have another story coming from Rich Yoder, who's who's submitted other stories in the past, and I love getting to read some of his stories. So he said, after just a few seasons, excuse me, after just a few seasons of using information learned from the podcast, articles, and trail cam data, on opening day in Pennsylvania, I made my way three quarters of a mile off the logging road to a pocket in a beach stand clear cut that intersected hemlocks and a ridgeline. I got into my saddle well before daylight with high hopes. At first light, I was happy to see flurries in a good wind direction. After an hour of no movement, I spotted a deer heading my direction from the clear cut and quickly pulled up my optic for it only to be a broken half rack eight point. Not that I'm terribly picky in gun season, but I just wouldn't have been happy myself for taking this deer. About an hour later, I did find it surprising that there was no other deer activity. And just like that, I caught more movement coming at me. As, as I realized it was a small doe, I heard a buck roaring behind her. He ran her around in my direction, and when I got a shot, I took it. I crushed his right shoulder. As he ran past me after the shot, I thought he would go down, but slowed down and stood in some beach brush. I tried two more shots to knock him down with no luck in the brush. He hobbled off slowly, and I instantly started second-guessing my shot. After one hour, I did a short track job to find a bloody bed. I went back to my tree and lay at the bottom for two more hours, feeling like a consistency of a soup sandwich. I think we've all been there. When I picked the tracks back up, it was only about 200 yards over the ridge crest that I caught back up with him. Another shot from a knee and down he went. My first shot had crushed his shoulder, but it had exited in the armpit without entering the body cavity at all. Some seasons feel like it's never going to happen, and this year was definitely one of those. Close calls in multiple states with the cards not falling my direction. That made this buck one of my most important deer and my biggest PA buck to date. Uh, such an awesome story, and uh, I I have the the pictures shared over on uh, East Meets West Hunt Instagram and East Meets West Outdoors on Facebook as usual. So go over and check those out, and uh, congratulate Rich on uh, just awesome deer, Pennsylvania big woods deer. So congratulations again. If you want to send in your story, send it over to bow at eastmeetswesthunt.com via email, or just go to the website eastmeetswesthunt.com and click the contact us form. That's another way that you can send that over. So, um, in other news, I guess it's just, uh, I mean, it's November 
and it's the most exciting time of the year, especially for big woods hunters or wherever you're at, whether you're going, you have your rotation planned or whatever you're doing, this is the time to, to be able to make it count. And it's, in my opinion, the, the best time to be able to score on a mountain buck or big woods buck. It's just, your odds are a lot higher at this time of year. Uh, I've been out, I just started hunting like actually out of a tree late last week. I've been just putting miles on the ground, trying to catch up with podcast stuff too, and and planning everything for me to be gone here for the next few weeks. But um, I got to sit in the tree, and the first few days were slow. I didn't see a single deer, not any deer sign. I saw a fisher twice, flock of turkeys a couple different times. They roosted right next to me, which is pretty cool. And so normally, so I was going off the historical data and I talk about this all the time, but I was going off historical data on setting at this spot. And so normally I'd sit there for at least three days, even if I didn't see any deer, but something was kind of worrying me a little bit. I mean, I had checked some of my trail cameras a few weeks before that and I didn't have any deer on it in the beginning of October, which wasn't wasn't completely out of the ordinary, but there's normally some does and that's where, you know, the bucks normally aren't there at that time, but there wasn't any does and that's what concerned me. So after a little over a day of sitting there, uh, about one o'clock in the afternoon, I climbed down and decided I was going to check some of my cameras that I had right below me and going down and first camera, I had a guy on it that was walking around with a crossbow and, and gave my camera a very dirty look. And I, I don't know, never seen the guy before and no deer on it. Checked another one, no deer on it. Checked another one, no deer on it. Checked a fourth one, camera wasn't there. I thought it was stolen. I uh, looked all over and ended up finding it 30 feet away. And it was actually a bear that ripped it off the tree and just trashed my camera. And ended up checking two more cameras and and uh, the last one that I had just set up the previous week on s- close to some bedding, uh, that th- some buck bedding that I knew there was some deer in, but they were they were smaller bucks. Well, as soon as I set it up, I'd actually hunted the spot um, the week prior uh, when we had some snow. And or wait, yeah, was that yeah the week prior around the 18th or 19th or something when we had some snow? Uh, I did sit in a tree that those days and. Right after I left, I had a podcast to do in the middle of the day. Um, I freshened up the scrape, and three young bucks came in that evening and hit it. The one's a, a real nice two-year-old, uh, tall tine, eight-point. Um, so nice-looking nice, nice looking deer, but nothing nothing big on it. Uh, so I actually kind of pulled out of that area for the meantime. There's, I, I think I, I, I definitely – the deer are there somewhere. It's just I have to find them. But there's a lot of hunting pressure and other – portions of the area and i and i know some of the the people that are hunting i've met them through being in the woods and i just don't want to intrude on on their areas so i'm kind of backing off that spot for the meantime which is hard for me to do because there's a specific deer i really want to hunt in there but i'm just going to keep tabs on it i'm not giving up on it i just uh for the meantime i, I need to find hot sign for this you know late october early november kind of time frame here and for me so i have this week to hunt and then I'm gone. I leave on Sunday for Alberta. So I'm going back to the bow zone, um, with Sitka and Jim hole to hunt again. If anyone's ever watched the, the Sitka film, the quiet place, uh, you just saw me in that back in 2018 hunting there. 
super excited to go back there and do some product testing and uh and just get to hunt just an iconic place so excited about that and then i get back and uh, about the 13th of november and then i'm going to be heading right to west virginia so this is really my week to get it done in, in archery and i typically like the second week a lot better uh personally but i'm going to give it a shot i'm going to uh try to figure it out even with these warm temps i mean rut's gonna happen and uh, i'm just gonna try to focus on it and focus on figuring out kind of what the deer are doing and letting them tell me i mean the temperatures aren't they do get close to about 70 or so towards the end of the week which is getting pretty warm at that point i'll probably stay lower on the hills and then some of the hemlocks and saying some two years ago we had a rut like that and that's what i noticed the deer were doing so I'm going to, I'm going to focus in on those areas and, uh, basically give it my go with some all day sits this week, uh, all week besides one day I need to, I need to come back and work, um, to get ready for being gone again. Uh, but yeah, so I'm, I am excited about it. It's, uh, it's a weird year, uh, for, for me with not being, with being gone all of September, uh, and then, uh, and even early October, I never really got tabs on deer to hunt early like i like i'd like to have but um the rut's a whole different game it's like starting fresh it's going to some historical spots that i know and and um on saturday i ended up finding i went to a different area and i found a bunch of deer which is good uh which low deer density area but this clear cut just holds does which is obviously what you want i had does come out of this thicket it would so they weren't i thought they were going to be bedding in the clear cut and they weren't they were actually come they were feeding in that clear cut and then going into this thick draw that was just full of just junk brush and uh, all this stuff in there and it's 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 difficult you can't really hunt it's just that thick but that's where all the the deer were bedding in and about 11 o'clock in the afternoon i had two does come running out thought they were being chased nothing behind them they came right to my tree and then kind of worked their way and feeding in the clear cut. And then I think they ended up bedding in there for the rest of the day. And a little bit before dark, I had three does come out with the lead one, just bleeding her head off, nothing behind her. And I'm like, what is going on? Like, this is, this is really weird. I mean, right, right to the base of my tree, basically. So I don't know if when I, when I, I blind call a lot, as you'll um, hear in the second no, it's in this this episode of, of the podcast where Zach and I talk about it. But I blind call a lot, so I don't know if she, that doe was coming in thinking I was a buck and she's ready to be bred, or or there's buck harassing some does inside that thicket that I couldn't see. And uh, then right before, or it was like right at last light, a deer came out. I grounded out. I could just hear it walking, and it went below me, and then it entered the clear cut, and I started calling at it. And it just, it, uh, it was interested, but it was staying in that thick cover and basically almost till it was dark. So I had like five minutes shooting light left. So I was like, how can I sound more realistic? I took my boot and I was in a cherry tree. So the bark's kind of a little bit raggedy, took my boot and just rubbed it up and down the side of the tree, making a bunch of noise sounding like trying to sound like a buck. And that buck starts rubbing a tree. I'm like, all right, well now I know it's a buck. But uh, he didn't come out until dark, and he was definitely at my scrape right in front of me. I didn't check the camera card that I had on there when I left. I just wanted to get out of there. But 
hit that. And then all of a sudden deer just start piling out of this thicket. I mean, one after another and I couldn't get down. So I put coyote call on my phone. I looked it up on YouTube and played that. And I hear another buck run. And the only reason I know is because I could hear his antlers tinging off the, the branches as he's running through the thick stuff. And then some does took off. As I'm coming down the tree, I'm pulling my saddle down and my sticks. I get like one stick from the bottom and I look over with my headlamp and I see eyes and there's two does watching me. I took down the rest of my stuff, packed up my pack and walked 20 yards from them back and they never, never took off anything. Cause at that point it was an hour and 15 minutes after dark. Cause I was just trying to wait to get everything out of there before I left. And, uh, but yeah, that was a good sign. There's does in there. Um, so I'm recording this on Sunday. I want to go in there tomorrow, but I'm not, I, I'm going to, it's going to be the more, the wind keeps changing on me. So if the wind's not right, I'm not going to hunt it, but, uh, it looks like it might change to being okay about nine or 10 o'clock in the morning. So I might actually even wait till then to go in. Uh, so I don't spook anything out and, uh, yeah, just, and kind of give it a go. But, that was good finding does. The bucks are gonna gonna show up when you find does like that. So I'm right on the edge of that thicket. All the deer were coming right past me. So that's that's positive. Just need them to do that um, in legal shooting light and hope it's the right buck. So anyway, sorry for the long winded intro uh, to this podcast with Zach, but I just wanted to kind of give you an update and uh, just everyone be ready for for the grind. No matter when you have your vacation or if you got weekend to hunt, you know it's. The more time you can spend out there, the the better, obviously. And I love that line from the last podcast I did with Johnny and my dad and Mason. It I don't remember which one of them said it, but it was like every minute that passes in the tree, it's a minute closer to your next buck. So good luck, everyone, and uh, we will talk to you soon. Uh, let me say this first: there's pros and cons to being being a talker. It makes us have really fun podcast conversations but it also makes us get extremely distracted from actually starting the podcast conversation <laughs> <laughs> yes it does <laughs> we've uh uh so th- to kind of get rolling here i'm joined by zach Farinbaugh and we so zach and i talked on the hunting public podcast here i don't know a couple days ago and i was like hey i know it's hunting seasons busy like i'd love to get you on though and zach was like yeah dude i'll make time for it i know how that is trying to get these things out and we ended up talking on the zoom call without recording for the last two and a half hours (laughs) about everything else (laughs) yeah but you know it's healthy too it's good to have good conversation that was a super fun conversation about a variety of topics and i got a lot out of it so you know there's no complaints yeah no that's that's good I, i i enjoyed the conversation and we talked about everything from hunting to life honestly we could probably solve everyone's life problems in a short amount of time um but i don't think really anybody comes to to listen to that <laughs> at least yeah. I, I i probably wouldn't recommend it <laughs> <laughs> yeah we talked i mean we talked about girlfriends even relationships and it's i mean yeah literally like a lot of different things. Pretty fun though. Yeah, <laughs> no, it definitely was. Um, but anyway, Zach, so it's, it's good. It's good to have you back on the show. I think it's been 
It's been right about a year, a little over a year since I had you on last. I think we talked spot and stock hunting last time. And, and, uh, and as we're getting here in late October, you know, I was like, you know what? I've never really talked to Zach about rut stuff, you know? Rut, so well, that sounded weird, rut stuff. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's just, a title. That's a title. Rut stuff with Zach. Rut stuff with Zach. I like it. But I was like, you know, I, I'm really interested, um, you know, to, to talk to you about that and everything. But I guess first and foremost, what, um, you're sitting in a cabin in where North Dakota right now? Minnesota. Or Minnesota, sorry. I, I, yep. you, weren't you in North Dakota? I was in North Dakota, and then yeah. I hopped over here, and yeah, I I basically am alone right now, so I guess a, a little update on my end is, yeah, I've been filming Jake so far this season. That's the only whitetail stuff I've done in North Dakota. We made a trip in early September, then we went back, um, I guess it's been last week i don't know if that makes sense what's today even tuesday wednesday 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 yes so i guess this past weekend and the end of last week we were in north dakota jake ended up shooting a buck that was awesome super fun like checked a tag off the list which opens up more opportunity and i was trying to decide like if i should go home and edit from home but i was just at home if I should go to Iowa and film there. And then it ended up just like playing out that I was needed to edit. So I just kind of edited, uh, or I was, I, was, I got a motel and that's where we recorded the podcast for THP. Yeah. And then I ended up, uh, hitting up these guys that I've talked to about this area. And, uh, they have a little cabin here that's like on this little piece of property that they own. And, I've been sitting here and been having a blast hanging out with those guys in the evenings and been editing all day and doing a little bit of driving around, scouting the public land around here as well. And, um, I think, I think, uh, somebody's going to, I think Keith's going to come up and meet me and we're going to actually start hunting here once I'm done with this video tomorrow. So pretty excited about it. And I've wanted to hunt Minnesota for a long time. I think but I've always been interested. I honestly can't remember exactly when, probably 2017 when my brother moved, uh, to Northern Minnesota, but, um, I've just always been interested in, and then we did the public land challenge, um, in Minnesota 2018 and man, like I remember being there and being like, I'm coming back here someday. And ever since then I've, I've really, really thought like, how can I make this happen? How can I make this work? But you know, schedules and you know things change all the time and just never really made it back up here but it's official we're doing it You're we're gonna hunt in minnesota <laughs> I'm, I'm stoked dude because like there's just so much uh diversity that you can hunt in this state i mean you can hunt so much different stuff and you know i don't really have any agenda i don't really have a time that like i'm pulling out of here it's just like gonna hunt and if the gun season opens and you know i gotta do something else that'll that'll be the end of it but that's not for another couple of weeks. So just going to yeah. play it by ear and have fun. I think that's the biggest thing is like, keep, keep it loose, have fun, not really worry about anything and just try to, um, learn as much as I can and cover as much ground as possible and be aggressive. And, and honestly, I think if I do that, things will probably play out just fine. Probably, you know, yeah, probably in due time, you know, just gotta 
keep persistent. Yeah, no, and I gotta definitely. get this editing. I gotta get this editing done before I actually do that. But once yeah, that's I, done, then I get a little breather. Well, yeah, you you were saying to me before you're like you're like yeah. By the time I'm done editing, I'm just gonna be in a really low place and just need to get back out in the woods yeah. and and get back out <laughs> hunting it's like, again. It's, it's kind of like when you when your dog's been like at home all day and you're at, like after you know you went to work and then. After work, you went out, you know, with your coworkers for a drink or something. Your dog's been in longer than what's like the normal day to day, like dog at home alone. And you let you open the door and you let the dog out, and the dog goes nuts. Like I'm the dog after that long day, you know. Oh, every time I get done editing, it's just like it. I, it's something I actually say in my head often. It's just like letting the dog out, like. I'm going insane. Like I'm running all over the place. That's why I act the way that I do in videos or like <laughs> naturally do. I, should, I say act the way that I do. It's just like, that's what the way, that's why I am the way that I am is because yeah. it's just like hold up editing. And then all of a sudden it's just like, ah, freedom and fun. And I just like go crazy because it is really fun and just feel like a wild dog. <laughs> I know it's, it's funny. Like t- today I was, it was, I was like, I'm going to go out, I'm going to get out afternoon and go out hunting. And next thing you know, I'm working on stuff and things are taking a little longer and it's three o'clock before I get to get out. And, you know, it's getting dark at like six 30 now. And I'm mm-hmm. like, crap, you know, and I, I, I get out and I was just like, but I was so pumped once I got it, once I got in the woods, like got past that point and actually got out there. It was just so much fun. I was just like covering ground and my whole goal was just scout with kind of still hunting but at a mm-hmm. little bit of a faster pace sort mm-hmm. of deal and i finally started seeing sign after it feels like a week of like not being able to find a sign i'm finding scrapes that were opened up and it's just like it's getting that time of year that just really gets me fired up and and you know you and i were also talking about this is like of just like again making it fun where you know i was uh, i was almost like starting to get in my head a little bit when I wasn't finding any sign when normally this time of year, I'm starting to find more, you know, stuff. And it just wasn't, you know, and I was like, I'm going to a new area, um, an area I've been to the general area before, but I was like, I'm just going to go in and, and just cover ground and actually found some, I found two scrapes that were under this beech tree on the edge of this logging cut that like I wanted to set up and hunt right there, but a guy had a camera on it already. So he had, he had found it before me. Um, and, and then, but still I was just working around and finding the sign. And what I thought was super interesting, Zach was I started finding a bunch of hunter sign in there, which I kind uh-huh. of anticipated, uh, cause it was an easier to access kind of flat top that it was going on. But as I worked my way back to the truck, I found a, a buck bed that was 70 yards from my truck and it could see where I walked up in there and there was a scrape right next to it that was fresh. And this bed, the, the buck actually broke branches off to make his bed in there. Like you could That's see where it, it almost looked like it would be like a licking branch, but it wasn't. And it was literally broken out of the way. And then the beech leaves were like laid on the ground where the, where the buck had been on. So like, I mean, he was using it recently and mm-hmm. it was, it was super interesting, but you could tell where I parked at. It wasn't the end of the road or anything, but other people were parking at that spot. And I'm like, this buck has got, 
got us patterned. Like it's yeah. just, I love, I love learning like how, how they, you know, do that. You know, I was end up finding the best concentration of, you know, sign. I found that scrape and some rubs in the bed and stuff right there by the road and everyone was walking past it. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny because actually last time I was in Minnesota, one of the coolest experiences that Jake and I had was we went into a piece that we had done like a little drive by and had seen uh, a lot of does feeding in like a little field close to the road that was on the public land. And we're like, man, that's a pretty good sign. Like if they're there in daylight in the evening, you know, in, in that early, I guess it was like, that makes it feel pretty good. There's probably more deer in this piece and we should investigate it. And when we, when we hunted it, I think because we had seen those deer, Honestly, I I can't totally remember why we approached it the way that we did. I think that it was just halfway, like, just doing something different. But, like, I think part of it was that we didn't want to park, you know, super close or access it super close to where we had seen those does on that little field. And we just took this very strange approach, kind of, like, went in side hill in an area. And we kind of opened up into this, uh, I guess it was... I guess you would just call it like an opening, but it was on a steep hillside. And as you got lower, it got thicker and thicker. And we were up on this side hill above the trail that was connected, a mowed path connected right to the the parking area, like the most obvious parking area, I suppose. And we're kind of approaching it and we're not really seeing a whole lot of sign that's making us feel like we need to you know, pump the brakes. And next thing you know, we just pushed a little bit too far and all of a sudden deer take off running out of this thicket like crazy. And and it was pretty open, like grass. It was like shorter grass. But like I said, as you went lower, there was definitely like enough bedding cover. And all of a sudden, dude, there are deer squirting out of there left and right. And one of them was just like a massive, you know, just when you think of like, when you think of a Minnesota buck, like, I guess what I always think of is like a dark antlered. Oh, that's exactly. Yep. You know, short. Almost Canadian looking. Yeah, Canadian looking. And like like shorter tines, generally speaking. Um, Have you ever wanted to have Levi Morgan, Andy May, Johnny Stewart, and others available at all times? Well, you can with CyberScout from Spartan Forge. CyberScout is like the chat GPT for outdoors men and women. You can ask it any questions related to bow building, scouting, hunting, survival, and a whole lot more. I think you'll be impressed with how it responds. CyberScout is currently out now for a select group of early beta testers and will be available to the rest of you really soon. The entire app is a complete tool for planning your hunt with incredible aerial imagery mapping, journaling, deer prediction, and some of the most accurate and detailed weather data. Use the code East Meets West to save 20%. And if you're still on the fence, give the 14-day free trial a chance at SpartanForge.ai. CVA has been America's number one selling muzzleloader brand for over a decade. Hunting with a muzzleloader opens up a ton of hunting opportunities across the U.S. And I've been using the Acura series. But they don't only make badass muzzleloaders. Their line of centerfire rifles are great quality and not terrible on the wallet. 
The Cascade Short Barrel is ideal for tight quarters, deer drives, and quick shots in the big woods. You can check out their line of muzzleloaders, rifles, and accessories for every season and every range at bpioutdoors.com slash CVA. If you use the code EASTMEETSWEST10, you'll get 10% off of all CVA products, which includes rifles, muzzleloaders, and accessories. But just a beautiful buck, like def- like a no-brainer shooter no matter where I'm at in the country. And, you know, that it was it was what was more heartbreaking than the fact that we bumped him was the fact that I double punched the record and I didn't get any footage of him. So I just have this like, you know, memory of him in my head, but I, I, I don't, man, I can honestly say like, this is the most valuable double punch I have ever had on, on as cameraman. Like, you know, I basically, I think what I did was, is I, opened the camera which i just don't make this mistake anymore either i don't have the camera off but i opened the camera and i hit record before the camera actually turned on and then he was already running so like i was so focused on staying on him as he was running down through there and i remember it being beautiful like it was good solid footage (laughs) except for the fact that i wasn't getting footage because i wasn't recording that that was upsetting (laughs) And I remember like being super embarrassed and like went back to camp and just like feeling like I was going to get kind of my ass chewed by the rest of the guys. And they were like, yeah, I mean, yeah, it sucks, but like it happens. And I was like, whew, like at least, at least (laughs) I just have to live with my own mistake and nobody else is mad at me, but it felt like that might be the case when I went back, but yeah, it ended up being all right. But we ended up hunting there again and never, never saw him again, but, um, Similar. The reason I bring that up in general, though, is those deer, there was a bunch of them. There was does and small bucks with that bigger buck. And where they were bedded was just above the trail. Like that mode path where I know tons of people were accessing it because by the time we made it back, that's what it was. That's what it was. We just didn't hike in on the trail that day just to do something different. And it worked other than the fact that we didn't like get eyes on the deer before they did us. But by the time we made it back to the truck that day, there was another guy pulled in and he was going bird hunting and he walked straight down the trail and it was like light bulb. Like he's doing the most obvious move. We didn't. That's why we saw the deer. But you know, that's like their defense is they're laying there looking at that trail. And that was really the first time I'd ever seen uh, that like, distinct of an example of that you hear about it but you know that was it was very obvious that that's what they were doing in that situation it's pretty cool yeah i had found a um a buck bed in the spring and i talked to joe rentmeister about this because he had some similar experiences with bucks watching these trails and i had that too where it was like there was like a logging road people would park on and you could tell that was like the path for people to get into their Mm -hmm. spot and right. this buck would lay there, and it when you get down on the trail, you couldn't see him, but he could see you, like from where mm-hmm. that where that bed was. And it was just like, you know, I, I bet it just laid tight, just kind of, you know, they get yeah. like kind of low, they lay down. Yeah. Like now, like in Pennsylvania, because you know people deer drive so much and they'll go through these clear cuts that these bucks will literally lay flat and they won't bump until you won't, you could literally almost step on. So you make eye contact with them. Like, yeah. Have you ever made eye contact with a buck that's hanging tight like that? It's, oh, it's it's scary. 
Yeah, it's like pretty scary. It's like their eyes get real big and they're just like, peace. And they hit yeah. it hard. When they when they do take off, they hit it hard. But like, it is weird. They definitely have, uh, you know, a really good idea of when you realize they're there too. And I'll never forget the first time it happened to me. It was like, I was walking through this small patch of forest and, uh, western ohio where i grew up on a on a place that i had permission to hunt and i was trying to drive i was trying to drive a, a this bedding area out to my buddy and i knew that's where the bucks like to hang out and i remember like kind of walking through there and just being like man there's nothing in here because it's open timber but i came around this log that was you know this, you know looking back on it now i would probably recognize it much better now with much more experience knowing exactly how deer bed you know, like the very specific spot that they choose where they have the cover. I think I would probably be more prepared to find it. But I came around that log and sure enough, there he is laying there looking right at me. And we couldn't have been, you know, four yards away from each other. But his eyes were so big, you know, they're just those big dark eyes. And he looked at me and as soon as we made eye contact, it was like gone. And then my buddy missed him. It was hilarious. Oh, yeah. This is so funny. But, uh, yeah, it's it's pretty crazy how they know what they can and can't get away. With. I mean, it's not that crazy. I mean, they're they're built for survival, right? Like, yeah, that's one of those places where you got to give them credit where, where it's due for sure. Like, they're good at knowing exactly what we're doing. And that's, I mean, all these examples we've said, like, they're they're really winning these situations mostly, you know. Yeah. And how, how do you like when you're say when you're still hunting or going sneaking like through an area, how are, how are you know, like either knowing is it recognizing where they might be bedded? Like, how are you getting eyes on them before they get eyes on you? So like to be able to actually get like an opportunity. Yeah. Um, so I think that when I, I feel like I'm really around, uh, you know, let, let's just use an example of like, um, timber with finger ridges, you know, like pretty common stuff that you and I talk about, right? Yeah. I mean, find it pretty much everywhere, but if you start feeling like, okay, we're approaching this particular secondary ridge or, you know, finger ridge that goes out, you know, a lot of times when you're finding beds, you're going to find them on that flat spot. You know, especially in super steep or really rugged country, which you're going to find in, you know, a lot of states. Like we talked about West Virginia some, and there's some, there's some super, super steep stuff. It's like if it's flat, and a lot of times it will be on a finger ridge, there's n- maybe not that much space there, but that's where those beds are going to be scattered. And, like, you you, you know, the, the reason, I guess, that I learned that is just, it's repetition in the off season looking at where deer bed, you know, you just continue to get a rep, get a rep, get a rep. So that way, when you're in the hunting situation, you can look at really specific spots and just really dig deep in there with your glass. Like I'm a huge, huge glasser. I spend so much time glassing, even in like the densest timber, even when I can only see like 50, 60 yards or sometimes less, like, there's situations that I've been hunting in like really brushy habitat, like timber that's brushy, like, like a clear cut, like a, uh, like maybe you're sneaking down a logging road in a clear cut, or maybe you're just sneaking down a deer trail and really dense, like, uh, oh, young like beach forest. brush, like, like yeah. you know, beach brush or something like that. That just makes it thicker. 
high stem count, stuff you can't see very far at all in. But I mean, there's, I mean, really been times you're glassing 20 yards, you know, because they're laying there in a place that they feel comfortable and you can predict those places. So like, if you feel like you're close to it, and I don't do this every step in the woods, obviously, but if you feel you're close to it, you're taking the condition, you're applying like, you know, what you need to put your, what cadence you need for that condition. And then as you get closer and closer to that spot, you're just looking at the very, very specific spots. And then I'm like, like, uh, looking so hard with my binos. It's, it's pretty funny. And it's mostly like wildly unsuccessful, right? Like, yeah, <laughs> you'll look, uh, like 150 times, 300 times a day. 500, whatever number you pick, right? It's like, you're going to look that many times in day in and day out, you won't see anything, you know? It's just like, it kind of feels like it could be a waste of time. But when it does finally play out and you catch one before, you know, he catches you or it catches you or even just, you know, a deer in general, depending on how high the deer density is, that's enough for you to be like, okay, pump the brakes. Now we're going to set up because, you know, it's early season and there's a small buck there. Okay. We can assume that there's a bachelor group or, you know, there's other bucks on this ridge. Cause that's just the time of the year is calling for deer to kind of be doing that versus being alone or with does, you know, maybe during the rut you see does and you're just like, you know what? Like the bucks know they're here. Let's hang out. And you just set up and you, you, you adjust based off of that. But yeah, glassing is a huge thing. And you know, that varies a lot based off of what the stem count is. You know, it's like, if you can, if it's super open timber, it doesn't take much time to glass, you know, a ridge that you're, you know, the flat part of a ridge when you're 50 yards from it. But you know, if you're sneaking down a, a, a logging road and you have, you know, in that particular clear cut or clear cuts like it, you found a lot of beds just on the road or, you know, five to 10 yards off the road. Well, then you should probably be glassing every step because you never know when that tiny little change is going to expose a tine or an ear or, you know, a, a deer's tail or something. I mean, there's so many different options. And when you're playing it, like you're trying to find the deer bedded, when they're actually up, it's so easy. Like when a deer's actually moving, it's like, I mean, it takes no time at all to see them yeah. when you're that specific, right? If you're trying to find a tine on the backside of a, of a log, like the example that I just, that I just mentioned doing that deer drive when I was, I think that probably happened when I was like 18 or 19 at that time, I was not doing the things that I'm talking about now. And I didn't see that buck. I walked right up on him, but I I feel pretty strongly that knowing what I did know, knowing that bucks bed there and have a tendency to bed there, I would approach it slow enough now that I would spot him before he spotted me or before he even knew I was there. And, uh, yeah, I just think that, you know, movement on top of that movement, but also just, you know, there's a lot of little factors, but it's like to rattle them off as a, a kind of a final like wrap up of that. Moving at the pace that makes sense for the condition, 
glassing a ton and looking for every little detail, glassing an appropriate amount based off of the stem count, and then also really focusing on the specifics of how you see deer tending to bed in that particular area. You know, obviously, you know, if you're in like a, yeah, every state's going to be a little bit different, but like, for example, in Iowa, I look under willow patches a ton. Like if there's a little willow patch, I'll look right underneath that. And like last year, Jake and I were sneaking around the edge of this kind of canary grass and willow patch spot. And I had seen actually in this particular, if it wasn't the exact like patch of willows, it was the one right next to it. Like Mm -hmm. within, you know, a 20, uh, not probably not 20, but probably 50 yard circle. I had seen multiple bucks bed there. I jumped them. I don't always know what they were, but I know they were bucks past seasons. So I was looking right into those different willow patches. And I just looked down there and like just a huge eight pointer, this tine sticking out. And I immediately, I just told Jake, I'm just like huge buck bedded under a willow down there. Like I could just see his antlers sticking up and sure enough, he stood up just big old mature, nasty old boy. And you know, stuff like that. I wouldn't be able to accomplish if it wasn't for knowing how deer have a tendency to bed in that area, but also just in that type of habitat. Right. So I think that's, I think that's how, um, it happens mostly. And again, if they're moving, then it just becomes that much easier. Yeah. I know. I know. Like for me, when I'm in like big timber and ridges and stuff, honestly, I feel like I can move a little bit quicker cause I can see you know, Mm -hmm. as I'm going through it, but I know like one thing I've learned from my dad and that still hunts a lot of clear cuts is like, when you think you're moving slow, move slower and just always be, Mm -hmm. uh, that's what he always tells me. He's like, and he's always glassing and pulling up and looking and trying to catch that, that movement. And it's difficult because Mm -hmm. you always like, I, I know I struggle with this is like, I always feel like I have a destination in mind when you don't, you, that's, that can't be the case, especially if you're in, yeah. you know, a, a, a bedding area and, or where you think that they might be bedded is like, yeah. is just hunting every, you know, inch of that rather than like, Oh, I, I want to get to that side of it. Or like, you, you, mm-hmm. know, you know, you have a goal to get through this. And sometimes that mental part of it can make you go faster or, or you just look at so many things that aren't deer that you start, you start getting losing, impatient. Yeah, getting impatient. That's exactly right. You get impatient, you lose confidence, and it's a tough habit to break too because, you know, if you've only tree stand hunted, which is what I had done before I just like dove into this head first and really had no idea what I was doing, like ground, you know, my style. I knew I wanted to change something, but I didn't know what I was doing. It was just like, how do I do this? Well, I don't know. You know, just try. Yeah. Well, the thing that's – the reason I, I believe in my experience – it was a tough habit to break is because I always did have a destination prior. You know, I always had that spot that I was going to, whether that was a fixed stand or a stand that I was going to hang and hunt out of that morning or that afternoon. I did have that destination. So breaking that habit, I think really got easier too when I started just like hunting section, like big areas, like, I don't necessarily hunt like a like specific ridge 
that. I mean, I do, I guess I do and I don't, right? It's like, if I don't find it though on this ridge, I may just keep jumping to that next one. You know, I may just keep moving and I'll just hunt this huge loop. And, you know, as far as like the way I view a scale, the scale of, of an area has changed so much. And I mean, a lot of that comes from hunting a variety of different areas, a variety of different pieces of public land, different, you know, size terrain, and also just honestly elk hunting. Like, yeah. you know, you have to view elk hunting as a, a, a different, um, it's such a different scale that it's intimidating, but if you can see it in in the same way that you see, like, the scale of the stuff you deer hunt and just treat it that way, yeah, it's going to take you longer. It's going to be harder to get there. It's just further distance, and it's at a higher elevation, right? But yeah. but if even though that's the case, it's like if you can see it just being the same terrain features as what you're dealing with in you know, a lower elevation whitetail hunting setting, it, it, it makes it a lot easier. And just you know, getting more and more experience doing all those things that I just mentioned just makes it way easier to tackle a huge area. Now, there's pros and cons to that, too, because... Um, something that I think I mentioned when we talked last was one habit that I have that I really want to try to break is I'll tiptoe the whole thing. Like I'll start, I'll start doing that too much to the point where it's like, yeah, I still have, I do still have like hot spots, right? Where yeah, I can check off these, like, let, let's say there's like, uh, you know, three ridges with, some sort of timber harvest on them. Well, I want to check those three spots specifically. Something's telling me, like I've seen, been seeing a lot of sign around similar cuts, for example. I know I want to go to those places, but sometimes I have this bad habit of, of uh, just taking too much time worrying about the other places that I was not even thinking about until I got in there. I just get so locked into that going slow that I waste too much time. So like, that's a balance of, I like covering ground, but I still want to focus my, my, you know, high concentration effort on those, um, areas of, of interest, I suppose, like those very specific yeah. areas of interest. I mean, that can kind of be compared to shed hunting. Like yeah. you, you move quickly through areas that, you know, aren't, you don't think that are your high priority. And then you're going to, you're going to, you know, cover every square inch as you go through like areas you're fine and hot sign in yeah. or something that like, you know, that maybe they're feeding in or, or I you like know, that, that. that. I never that. thought about it that way. Dang. Yeah. Like, because yeah, you're, you're exa- I mean, it's exactly like that. Yeah, that's because perfect. You, I've never heard, I've never thought about that, <laughs> but that's perfect. Yeah, hell yeah, that's a great way to explain that. Yeah, Sweet. because like if you if you when you're shed hunting, if you just go through the area slow and cover every square, you can't cover every square inch of the woods because you'll never get to you may never actually hit the good spots. But if you like kind of have your places you want to go to, or like say for example. Say you didn't even know there was cuts out on these ridges, but you're you're moving quickly until you're like, all right, this is deery. Like this has some, you know, mm-hmm. you either have that intuition or there's sign in front of you that's yep. showing you like, okay, I'm getting into more deer sign, or there maybe there's a higher concentration of rubs or something that gives you that inclination that okay, now I need to slow down, and it helps you, you know, be able to mm-hmm. to. But I I struggle with the same thing. So that as with saying that, as I'm 
putting it out there like I understand this 100%. Like it's it's still difficult for me too of like okay, there's this, you know, this destination that I want to get to and sometimes I'll spend too much time in these, you know, bullshit areas essentially yeah. and then and then by then you're already impatient by the time you're you're at the point yeah. you wanted to get that's, to that's yeah dude like okay that's something <laughs> that that's i i really like that shed thing i think that helps me a lot i'm 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 feeling like yeah, <laughs> duh it's it, because because you know when you shed hunt you're not worried about spooking deer as much but when i shed hunt i still like to practice this style of hunting and a lot of times I actually see a lot of deer. Like a lot of things are, this app really helped me, Bo. I appreciate that. <laughs> yeah, no problem. <laughs> because like, you know, you think about like when you're coming up over a ridge when you're shed hunting, you always, or at least I always think like, well, I could just slow down here and pop over and see if there's actually a deer there, yeah. you know? And I do it and I see them a lot of times. So it's just like, wait, maybe I should just like do that a little bit more. Like it, it helps for a, it helps me be more aggressive in the times I need to be, but yet still patient when I need to be as well. And that's that's the balance of a still hunt, I think, is is and it's the true challenge of a still hunt because there's all these factors telling you like, oh, I need to go faster, I need to cover ground, or I need to go. And maybe maybe for some too, it's it's go slower. And and I definitely think for me it is sometimes. It's just like maybe I tiptoed that. Like looking back on it. Well, I'm shooting a new bow this year and I am pumped. After playing around with the buddy's Hoyt RX-8, the smile on my face made the decision for me. The first thing I noticed with the new Hoyts were their extremely smooth draw cycles and the ability to adjust the back wall to make it rock solid like I prefer. I outfitted my own RX-8 with the inline accessories that made installation extremely easy and balanced out the bow. My favorite accessory so far is a simple one. It's the Go Sticks 2.0 adjustable legs to make your bow like a tripod, but it doesn't interfere with any part of the bow or the limbs or anything like that. In addition, the integrated kickstand within the HBX Exact Cams protect your string from excess wear when you put your cam into the dirt. Ground hunting or spot and stock just got easier. If you want to experience what I'm talking about, head to your nearest Hoyt dealer and take a test drive yourself. You can learn more at Hoyt.com. The Mobile Hunters Expo is a consumer-based hunting show unlike any other. It provides an interactive learning experience where you can try all things mobile hunting and learn from the best in the business. Come experience an unbiased, community-based environment where you can improve your hunting skills and find the right equipment for your needs. I'll be speaking at the Nor'easter Show in Mannheim, Pennsylvania at Spooky Nook Sports from August 9th to 11th, 2024. So come check it out at, or either of the other shows in uh, Michigan and Georgia. You can purchase tickets online at the mobilehuntersexpo.com or grab tickets at the door. I'll see you there. You know, maybe I was just going too slow. Like, probably could have just moved faster and, you know maybe you see then okay so let's 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 draw up a scenario here you're moving across a clear cut and you know a lot of clear cuts have those like you know parallel running logging roads and then Mm -hmm. you know maybe they have something zigzags through the middle of them but but for the most part you know there's multiple roads at different elevations if you're on the top one 
and you spend way too long going across the top one. By the time you get to the second one, oh, oh, okay, sorry, this is an important part of this situation that I wanted to point out when I was visualizing it. When you're on that top one, you're going super slow, but none of the signs fresh. You know, you're not finding that fresh scrape. You're not finding a fresh track. You know, maybe it just recently rained and everything's just got that really like, eh, yeah, I mean, they're here. They've been here. Oh, yeah, there's even a big buck track here, but it's not hot. It's not like smoking hot. Yeah. So you move through there, and you walk, but you take too long on that first trail while you're seeing no sign. But then you drop down on the second trail and you see a fresh track. Well, maybe now you really back off. You're like, okay, he's here. Like this track was made in the last 24 hours brakes pumped like let's stop like let's take it down a whole nother level but what i have this tendency of doing is i'll take so long sometimes just on the top road that i won't i won't i'll never even make it to the bottom road you know i'll just i'll run out of day i'll literally either run out of daylight or i'll just get like sick of it and lose my confidence completely that i just end up bailing and just doing (laughs) something else and it's like but but for some reason the shed thing made a lot of things click i feel like that just really helped me in a lot of ways it's kind of hard to is almost more than just the shed thing it's just like yeah that just that really helps you i don't know dude that's it's game changer hell yes <laughs> hell yeah i love that <laughs> oh, i don't know why that just dawned like or it just like clicked so much for me it's a great way to put it Hopefully yeah it helps somebody else yeah, no, I, I, I think, I think it would. I mean, like it, it just, it makes sense as far as when you're going through it, and and you know, like you said, like when you're when you are shed hunting and you do see deer and you slow up at those those portions and 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 spend that time. I don't know. It's just, I, 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 I do it while I'm scouting a lot because I mean I'm not like when I'm as I put it this way, like I like I did today, like I scout slash still hunt a lot. Yeah, like I don't. I, I always have an arrow knocked. I'm always ready to go. Like, that's how I, when I go through the woods, when I go out scouting. Like, I know some people that don't even take their bow when they go out scouting. But, like, for me, that's not the, that's, right. I can't do that. That's the, that is the wrong answer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Unless you've got, like, an obligation to, like, you must shoot it out of a tree stand. That's the wrong answer. Yeah. Like, I, bumped, I, just, I bumped into some guys in Ohio a couple of years ago. Uh-huh. And they were, like, I was like, what you guys did? You know, like, what's up? You know, and like, not much. And they said that they watched the videos. And so, so then I, I felt like I could maybe give them a little bit more shit for this, but we're standing there and, um, talking. I'm like, so what are you guys doing? They're like, well, we're just, we're going back in here to scouting or to go scouting. And I'm just like, where's your bow? And like, you know, jokingly, like, why yeah. did you have, and like jokingly, but also, hoping to help them take their bow the next time because man like even if you're going to hang a stand just make sure you have your bow you never know like i've heard yeah. too many bad stories of people being like and that's when i realized that i should be taking my bow with me and it's like yeah like absolutely be taking your bow with you like yes yeah anyway i I feel guilty, like, I feel guilty when I don't have an arrow knocked when I'm walking. Like, that's the way I am. Like, I just, mm-hmm. I always feel like if I don't have an, if I have my arrows in my quiver and I'm just carrying my bow along, that's when something's going to happen and I'm yep. not going to be able to make a decision quick enough to, or get prepared for it. You know, it's funny, I was, as I was walking around, I'm like, man, like, 
I said, by, by the end of this season, I said, I'm going to have some pretty strong biceps. Cause I'm always holding my bow out. You know, you got to yeah. keep that broad head away from, and then I'm switching Seriously. hands and I'm going back and forth and, 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 uh, doing that. But I just, I, I'm always, I always want to be ready, you know, in those situations. And I feel like you're, you know, you're covering two aspects when you're, you know, ground hunting or still hunting like that is you're scouting plus you're still in the game. Like you're, mm-hmm. if you play it kind of, you know, you know how we're mm-hmm. talking, but it's funny how you said those absolutes about, like you said, the absolute wrong way is not carrying your bow. Right before this podcast, Zach and I were talking about this, like this thing of going back and forth on, like when we are talking about tactics, like we never want people to believe that what we're saying is the only way, or that's you know, there's a, there's a million ways that you can hunt and do things, but we're talking about our ways. And you were like, it's really important to me to make sure that people don't think that I'm saying that this is the only way of doing something. But there is, you can't, you have to carry your bow. Yeah, that's where <laughs> I'll draw the line. I will draw the line there. That is a rule, in my opinion. Yeah. I mean, you can do whatever you want, I suppose. But no, that's not an, that's don't, written don't, in the book. Don't come. Don't complain. Don't complain when you miss a chip shot opportunity because you just simply do not have the weapon during legal hunting hours. Yeah. Unbelievable. It was just to me, no way. You know, I don't. I don't. You know, I try to think sometimes too. Like, did I ever do that when I was younger? You know, like, did, is that something that I would have done when I was younger? And I. I mean, the only time that I would not be, that I would have been on public land when I was younger, not with my bow, is if I was hunting something else. Like, I, I squirrel hunted quite a bit when I was in college. And, like, it was deer season. And we were scouting when we were squirrel hunting. But I didn't have my bow because I was squirrel hunting. I'm still paying attention to all the things. But, yeah, not actively going to scout for deer to yeah. set up for deer with, you know, just no bow, like no, yeah. no weapon. It's just, I don't know. It's pretty funny to think about. Yeah. But it's pretty common. I think, I think, I, I think it's very common. Yeah. I've heard, I, a st- I've heard a lot of stories about people having that moment that was like, Ooh, I missed it. Easy opportunity because I didn't have it. Which, and yeah. I've also heard of, I've heard people say that like, they don't want to, you know, they want to, figure out the buck they want to like you know set up in a tree to like because that's the way that they want to kill them and and i respect that that's Mm -hmm. just not me oh yeah i want to take i they have enough things in their in their favor i want to i'm gonna yeah i want (laughs) to take advantage of any opportunity that i have out there i'm not going to judge that it's not the prettiest thing you know it's not you know it's not you know coming into this set that i had perfectly if I bump him and he happens to stop at 18 yards and I shoot him that way, that's yeah. the way I'm going to do beautiful. it. Yeah, beautiful. <laughs> Love it. Love yeah, it all the same. Like, <laughs> yeah, it's like, yeah, I think about that sometimes too. Or I guess I forget about that because because I don't care at all. Like it, it could be the most like abnormal way. Like I always talk about like regard. Like if you're on. If if you if they're on, I guess, the land that you can hunt and you can see two bucks fighting and one of them's a shooter, go get him. Like, just run to him. Go to him. Like, I'm waiting for the day. I'm so hopeful that it happens to me at some point where I get to observe a buck go into a fighting and, like, I'm going to go at, like, no, completely careless because they're never going to see you. Yeah. I mean, but it's them putting themselves at a super vulnerable position. Like there's no denying that that's putting them in a vulnerable, 
they're they're putting themselves in a vulnerable position. I don't really view that any differently than, you know, a buck coming to a decoy or a buck chasing a doe right past you. He's putting himself in a vulnerable position. Yeah. You know, I got nothing against, you know, getting ultra aggressive and cutting within bow range of two bucks fighting. <laughs> That'd be, uh, I, that would honestly I was be waiting. the coolest video ever. <laughs> I was <laughs> I was waiting for that to happen, elk hunting. There'd be like this bugle fest, and they're, I'm like, just let me hear them antlers yeah. just clang together because uh-huh. I'm sprinting. Like I'm, yeah. I don't care if I blow every other elk in the area out. I'm getting there, and I'm gonna, and I'm that's what's gonna happen. Like that's would be my dream. Yeah, they're like they're never gonna know. I mean. That that's probably the most vulnerable you could find a buck if you can get there in time. And like, there's definitely fights that last a long time. I watched uh, a fight in a field one morning um, with my buddy Sean, and it was, I mean, just they were relentless. Two mature bucks just going at it, and it was late November too. Like they had been going, you know, like the bucks had already been fighting. And I mean, you had all the time in the world to just go right up to them. And and the other thing is, it's like, there's already other deer doing that. They're already like expecting that, right? Like it's something that naturally happens is deer fighting, especially real deer fighting calls in other deer, like all the way to them. So they're, they're not even going to probably pay any attention to any, they're not going to hear it. And even yeah. if they could, they wouldn't pay any attention to it because why would that be, be abnormal? And they, I, there's, I guess I can't imagine they can see when they're doing that. I mean, they they wouldn't pay any attention. I mean, I, well, think I guess, about it. Like if you're think about like humans. So like if if you were if you and I were to get into a fight, you're so mm-hmm. focused on what's going on. You know, adrenaline filled. You're in this. You're not seeing anything else that's no. going on around Ton- you. It's, like it's there's very tunnel vision. It's very exactly, and I, I would imagine that's how a deer would be the same the same way. Obviously, I'm not in their head, but like yeah. that, I, I can't see how they'd have any other senses that would make. You know, they're not like all of a sudden stopping halfway through and going, "What does yeah, that smell?" That smell? <laughs> right? And I get it. Then at that point, they get a tine through their eye, so they can't. Yeah. They can't be. <laughs> they yeah. can't. can't put their guard down. They can't no. put their guard down. I guess I do want to clarify too, like. If if bucks are like actually like antlers locked can't escape that I wouldn't do that I don't that that isn't as I mean yeah they're super vulnerable but it's like <laughs> that that feels like it's pushing the fairness but as far as just like a straight up deer fight like like dude yeah like that'd be really cool really fun to just yeah. experience getting in tight like that to it and um Sean actually Sean and I tried it the next year we were um. In in pretty dense timber, we were in Iowa, and uh, we heard bucks sparring, and it was like mid-October, not a good weather day, and I remember being like, like at first it started happening, it was like, is that rattling? Or, you know, is that bucks fighting or whatever? It's like, or could it be rattling, you know, somebody rattling? And, and Sean, this is something I'd never heard before, apparently it's a thing in Missouri, but, and probably other places too, but... He would call people Daryls, like, like, uh, like instead of being like, yeah, that doofus, he'd be like that Daryl over there, which is just something hilarious. <laughs> I've but never his, heard that. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'd never heard it either. But he said, when he said it the first time, I was just like, what, 
what are you talking about? But yeah, and I've seen I've seen like it in comments occasionally. Like it's definitely something other people say, but yeah, he'd call people call people Daryls, like just some general person too, like not I guess not even necessarily a doofus, just like somebody else out there. So yeah. his exact words were Dude, there's no way there's somebody there's there's dude, there's no way there's some Daryl out here rattling right now. And I was just like <laughs> Great point, because it was like late morning. We had been on a morning hunt in a stand. We're now on the ground. We dump these stands off our backs, and we just start cutting distance like as fast as we can while they're making the rattle, making the, the, you know, they're fighting. And we get to a certain point where it stops. And we ended up grunting and shaking a branch and had a really nice eight-pointer come right up to 20 yards. And I'd have to watch that video to tell you what I do differently now. I think I just set up in a stupid spot where I didn't have much mobility. I think I kind of buried myself in a, in a, uh, pin Oak tree where there was like a lot of low, really stout branches that I couldn't shoot through. And he came almost, well, he came plenty close enough. I just was in a bad position that that is, I'm pretty sure that's what happened. I'd have to go back. I actually probably should go back and watch that because I'd probably learn a lot from it. But but we cut the distance. We we almost got there, but they it was early enough too that I don't think they were knock out or knock down, drag out fighting. They were just sparring, so it didn't last that long. But it definitely got us like you know an opportunity. I I would yeah. consider like I would have shot that buck for sure, and like he was in easy bow range. I just was not in the right position. Do you carry rattling antlers with you? Yeah. In, 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 in November I do. I don't mess. I wouldn't mess with it now. Probably. I'm not saying I wouldn't rattle and I wouldn't try to get one in. I haven't had, I have like so mixed, you know, success, mixed reviews of rattling. You know, honestly, maybe I should now, and do it now before more people start doing it. It'd probably be effective. I just, I think what happens a lot of times is it gets to a point where either just naturally deer get less interested in it or they've seen other hunters doing it enough that they just like, you know, are hesitant, especially mature bucks. But like, I've also had it ha- work in places that, you know, heavily, like heavily pressured stuff. Like, I know. I know other people are doing it. I mean, hell, the one day we heard a guy rattling, and then the next day rattled a buck in that we got a visual on, and that was November. I think that was November 9th. But we definitely heard another hunter rattling because it was like classic plastic. Yeah. I mean, you it was like a cadence. It. Like, you, yeah. That's how like I would know when elk weren't really elk when yeah. is because there was a, an exact cadence to every every call and i was like okay that's that's definitely another hunter you know i i've so actually i'm gonna i'm gonna start rattling this year before you start doing it and having success and then everyone else is trying to to duplicate that (laughs) (laughs) you know blowing up the woods no but in all seriousness i had i just had a guy um on the podcast he's from oklahoma and that's how he kills all his deer off the ground is by rattling and he gets like real into it and does does some crazy things and i'm like you know i'm like well 
does that exact situation apply to where I'm at? Maybe, maybe not. But I, I, I kind of want to try a little bit of I it because, like, I, think, I gave up yeah. on rattling a while ago. I've, I've rattled in some bucks, but they've always like circled downwind to me in the tree. But I think on the ground, you could. Oh, it sets up way better for it. On the it, ground. it sets up way. Yeah, I agree. And and I, I was saying, I my my only, I had these like black racks, like rattling antler things. They're in a tree somewhere hanging on a limb. I don't remember where I left them, but they're hanging somewhere. And but I was I was just I was actually just talking to my dad earlier today on the phone and I was like I said I need to start taking he he was talking about trying it on the ground and I was like after listening to that podcast and I was like, you know, I gotta get make a set of rattling antlers um out of some of my sheds and and give it a try because like I love yeah. grunting and everyone says you can't grunt in heavily pressured areas or anything. And yeah. I've grunted in more bucks during the rut than I, I, when I sit in a tree, I blind call every 15 minutes and because it's so thick that, you know, if I can only see 20, 30 yards in these spots, if a buck's cruising, you know, even 80 yards out, you don't even know he's there. You don't even know he's there. So like, I'll do like bleeding sequence and then like, you know, acting like it's kind of like some chasing going on. And that's I, I love calling. I just never really got into the rattling aspect of it. Yeah, I I love calling too. And I think that the art to calling a deer in is thinking less about the sound and like as far as like the the rattle, like the actual antlers banging, less about that sound or like less about what exact sound you're making out of the grunt call and more about pairing ground noise or like visualizing a situation and trying to mimic that situation that you're visualizing. So, you know, every time you observe a deer making noise, like a fight, like a, I mean, and you can watch videos of this, even if you haven't had the experiences, right? Like I get a lot of these resources just from watching videos, you know, and and that's something that where, where you can, you know, even if a hunting situation is not relatable to you, like where, you know, maybe the hunting, like the hunting show is like on an outfitter on a big private ranch that, you know, you're like, man, that's never going to be me. Something you can learn from those videos is deer habits or like deer sounds, deer, the way they walk, the way they look at things, the way, you know, just the way that they interact with everything that's around them. And if you really pay attention to those fine details, it can make you go from somebody that doesn't like calling or doesn't call or whatever to like being an incredibly effective deer caller. And I think that there's definitely an art to it that has gotten like ignored since, you know, the tendency has turned to like more tree stand hunting too, because you can't make any ground, or I shouldn't say you can't make any ground noise. It becomes much more challenging to make ground noise out of a out of a tree. So people talk about that less. They talk about those details less. Where when you're on the ground, you can be a damn deer. Like you can walk like a deer. You can stop like a deer. You can listen like a deer. You can certainly grunt like a deer. You can get a little fight going. But like you know, when you hear deer fight too, like that's so loud. Like. the loudest part isn't the antlers banging. And again, you don't have to see this in real life. Get on YouTube right now and type in whitetail buck fight and you can probably watch hundreds of them. It's just like 
you know, listening to what their feet are doing and how big branches are popping and the leaves are getting shuffled and there's so much more to it than rattling and like, you know, when I hear a hunter rattle, like you mentioned the cadence thing, I couldn't agree more. Something that is not realistic is only antlers just continually banging. And I'm like, you know, again, this is where you can see the wrong thing too on, on a hunting situation that's not like yours is like that stuff works on deer that aren't like are very, very not pressured, you know, just like some, you know, very basic rattling sequence. But on a Pennsylvania buck on public land that's four plus years old, he ain't just going to come running into that. And I think that's <laughs> also where that perspective of like calling doesn't work here comes from is because yeah. calling doesn't work on highly pressured areas if it doesn't sound realistic. Oh man, you're, you're so right. And it's, it's, it's the same thing. You know, I, when I had this, this guy on, so he, he hunts unpressured private ground and I was getting comments, you know, about that. And it's like, okay, no, change your perspective on this and see what you can pull mm-hmm. from that to learn. Mm-hmm. Like no matter what, like, yeah, you might not call in 12 bucks a day. Like he does sometimes, but what you yeah. could, but taking like this realistic aspect. And that's like what I try to do with my grunts is like, I get into it. Like I, mm-hmm. I like there's certain noises that I've learned that like from watching deer, seeing videos and all these, but I've learned that like either making almost like a, a chasing or like attending sequence or being aggressive. Like I have a grunt mm-hmm. call that sounds deep and I like that tone and it's like, okay, so this buck's either going to, not pay any attention if he's not in the mood or he's going to want to try to kill me. Like that's mm-hmm. what, that's what I want to try to do. Or mm-hmm. again, mimicking that there's a doe that's in heat and having that situation. But I want to make it sound that way. And I get into it. Like my head's turning, you know, I'm kind of <laughs> doing some different. I can picture and, you doing all that actually. Yeah. I, I'm picture. I, I remember in 2017, uh, it was November 8th. I remember this situation where I was doing some, some deep grunts and then all of a sudden I saw feet underneath the, the and I was sitting in a crick bottom. I can't hear because the yeah. crick's right, right below me. And I could just see these feet and I see a tree starting to be rubbed, you know, just going up and down and I could see it shaking through the other hemlock branches. And I'm like, he's, his testosterone's obviously elevated. So I need to do that. So I kind of turned my head and, and he came in hair standing on his back, you know, just, you know, postured up, and I shot him as soon as he came out into that opening. And it was just like, oh, my gosh. Like, I love that scenario. And, like, I, I love – that's why I love, you know, turkey hunting, elk hunting. I like the mm-hmm. calling side of things. Now, deer aren't as vocal, but you can still get similar results from from trying to pretend you're in that situation. And that's – I'm always visualizing that. Like, how yeah. a buck would – why why would he want to come into this? Not just sitting there going, but but. But, yeah, you yeah. know, <laughs> yeah, just like a, ho- a hollow grunt with no ground noise. Like, yeah, um, yeah. When when uh, I was starting to elk hunt, I was with Cody from Born and Raised, and you know, we were talking about like how much can you bugle too much, and he's just like, I mean, if it doesn't, like, if an elk doesn't hear it, like, that doesn't even count. You know, it's like, they're they're free. Do it as much as you want. And honestly, you can say the same thing about a grunt, right? It's like, yeah. if you're grunting a bunch, like, let's say you're grunting a bunch and one's hearing it and just completely ignoring it. 
at some point, maybe he's just like, you know what? That's not real. I'm getting out. Or he's going to hear it enough that he finally is just like, okay, what's going on over there? So, like, what? I, yeah. you know, what's the harm? I mean, the harm is is that if you don't have the setup that sets up well for it to where it's super easy for them to get downwind, like, you know, if you're being real, you know, specific with where wind's going to avoid a trail or something, but the deer still have the ability to, like, easily walk in that location, you know, I definitely think you got to be careful there, but, you know, as far as um, just casting it out, you know, when you know you're when you know you're in a good position and you're ready for it, like I don't see where that hurts anything. And and as far as like uh, an example of of grunting loud like that, there's a couple like things that come to mind. One is is I heard this buck a couple of years ago, and I actually had a, a Keith and I were hunting together. We were down in a creek bottom, super hot. Instincts told us that we needed to get the hell off the ridge that we'd been hunting because it was drier than a bone. It had been hot like that for a week and really calm. So just nothing was moving. It was just dry, hot, loud, crunchy. So we moved down low because it's like, well, there's water down there. Like, it's cooler. It's more shade down here. Kind of just makes sense for us to go down here for a com- from a comfort standpoint. Why wouldn't the deer? Well, we got down in there and we got set up and we made a, a setup mistake where we didn't realize that one of the major trails went right to like our weakest point. As far as a right-handed shooter goes, like the direction from our setup was not bad, but we had no shot in that spot. And, uh, it was one o'clock where we Keith was kind of dozing off and I just heard just like that. When you hear like the buck roar or growl or whatever, that's what I heard. And it was just like super loud, deep, long grunt. It just sounded like a dinosaur up there. And I was like, like, again, surely it's not a Daryl up there grunting <laughs> right now. It's like, who, why would anybody even be bow hunting? We're stupid for even being out here. It's 80 degrees and just stagnant as all get out. <laughs> and, uh, and I wake, kind of wake Keith up. I'm like, dude, like, I either just heard somebody grunt, which I don't think is the case, or I just heard like one of the crazier grunts I've heard in a while, if not ever. And, uh, sure enough, like, I don't know if it was 10 minutes or if it was, I don't know if it was honestly four or if it was 20 minutes. I feel like it was more like another 10 minutes meet in the middle later, just same thing, just and it just echoed through the valley like crazy loud and keith was like oh yeah i heard that one and sure enough a couple minutes later just like sounds like the world's exploding like he's just plowing through everything and i what i would predict is he was either alone and just was like you know what i need to get up and move or i have seen a buck act exactly like that before and it was right when he left a doe a big old mature buck, just like this buck was, um, very similar, like just so fired up that like they can barely contain themselves. And he, he was walking like that. Like he was plowing stuff, just going straight through the thickest stuff and just making an insane amount of noise. And it was really easy to hear him. Cause like I said, it was super calm. Well, I thought he was going to, I saw him coming. It's just like, yeah, no brainer. We're shooting this guy and he's coming right at us. And I 
thought because the tra- like you know the way that I had visualized that setup working was he was going to go from left to right. He was going to come at us and then he was going to cut and go kind of like off our left shoulder to our right. And that mm. would put him broadside at point blank. And like, that's how we drew it up. There was a rub line going right down that. And that's why, you know, we felt so confident in that. And the rubs were big and fresh. And it's just like, it's playing out. Like there was no doubt in my mind that we were about to kill this thing. And he just walked straight down that trail and got to like four yards. And I think he just, I honestly think it was so calm that there was probably just like a stink circle around us. And he just got, he got so damn close that he got in the scent circle or the, or, or what, what, what is it? Aura. This is something that Greg, cause I told Greg that once and he thought that was pretty funny. And he thinks he called <laughs> it the aura, like just the stink around I'm us. Pict- I'm picturing like this, like almost like a, like a globe or something that's around yeah. you of just like mist of human scent. Of just of just danger to a deer's nose, yeah, and uh, yeah, he he got something, and he slams on the brakes, and he look. It was a big eye thing, and he sees us, and I I honestly never even drew because I was waiting for him to turn his head. Well, he never turned his head. He just kept coming all the way to us, and in there was no shot. I mean, regardless if I'd have got drawn or not, there was no forcing it through there. I didn't know that trail even existed, which is is a mistake. You know, yeah. it was just a setup mistake, and I learned a lot from that. But the grunt, the realism of that grunt was, or, 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 you know, the reason I brought that up, I guess, is the realism of the grunt that you used reminded me of that situation. And then um, I guess also uh, there was another there was another thing that I was going to say about the the grunt, but I guess I guess probably doesn't matter well, that much. But yeah, like so that's last year when my dad when he ended up shooting that really big deer in pa that's the first the first well the second time he had an encounter with him on the ground he saw it chasing this doe did, and he, it shoot, was did he shoot it off the ground no he ended up shooting out of a saddle but um uh-huh. the two first two encounters he had were on the ground and then he heard like he heard him make this grunt as he was going away with his doe and it was just you know this deep yeah. and then he ended up setting up in the spot you know, that next day, nothing. And then he moved a little bit and set up again. And this was the day it came in and he heard him coming before it was the same grunt. He's like that. There's not another deer that's making a grunt that sounds like this. Yeah. You know, it was just like they had that, that, that certain, that certain mm-hmm. grunt, you know, to you it. Can but, definitely, you, you can do it. I mean, I don't know. It's maybe people think I'm crazy, but I, I mean, I definitely do it with turkeys i do it with tur- i can tell turkey difference in turkey gobble like real easily at this point and a lot of that just comes from hearing it a lot you know just yeah experience but it's like i can definitely tell the turkey was <laughs> yeah, yeah for three months but i can definitely tell the difference between a turkey and i'm getting a little bit better at telling the difference in an elk but i struggle with that more really uh, i feel like elk struggle with that for me really like, yeah, I I don't know what it is. Like it was funny because Justin and I were like talking about it. We were just like sitting on this herd for so many days and hunting them. We're like, there was a couple bulls that had these certain bugles. We're like, I just want to see what he looks like. Like, yeah, he, he's always piping off. He's always you know doing that. Yeah. And then like the the that one bull that I ended up getting the shot at the herd bull called him the Marlboro Man because he sounded like yeah. he smoked cigarettes. He always just had a rasp to it. And mm-hmm. and I, I it's it's. 
then there was certain ones that all that sounded very similar that were difficult, but there was, you know, that variation enough that I felt like maybe I just spent so much time around that specific herd that they ended up starting to, you know, stand out more. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think it's cool. I, d- I definitely see where I'm going to continue to get better at it. I think it's so much more unfamiliar to me than, you know, a turkey goblin that I don't hear that different. I just am not good at that yet. And I mean, it's something that, you know, when you're listening maybe to like two bowls, I can consecutively like in, in a particular hunt. Yeah. I start to get to where it's like, yeah, they have a little tendency, but it's still like, for whatever reason, it's more random where a turkey's gobble is like so consistent that when they have like a high pitch in it or something, it's easier for me to pick that out. Cause like, you know, from one gobble to the next, generally the, 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 the cadences are fairly similar and, and like from neck, or I guess from one gobble to the next from the same bird. Yeah. But then within that, but within that gobble, you know, there's those little high pitches or like some have a real squeak to them or some have more of like, I don't know, just a different powerful gobble behind it. And it's just easy to tell but with deer you hear it so little especially like from individual deer that you would have i mean it's a unique situation a very unique situation where your where your dad hears this buck grunting and then like can tell that it's gonna be him because of that sound that's pretty Uh, yeah i don't think i've ever had that situation to be honest like with with a, a deer that I've had two encounters with and I've heard his grunt and were able to tell, like, <laughs> yeah. that's just that I have not been <laughs> rarely so. do I see the same deer twice. So that's, uh, <laughs> maybe that's where the problem is, but I don't know. Something. Just like calling is just, I don't know. It's, it's fun. Oh, it's a blast, man. And like, you can get, you can get way, way deep in thought into it. And, and this is the end of the part one of this podcast with Zach. So, Stay tuned for later this week uh, as part two comes out and you'll be able to hear the rest of this conversation with Zach Farrenbaugh. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of East Meets West Hunt with your host, Bo Martonic. For more great content and to stay up to date, visit eastmeetswesthunt.com, Facebook at East Meets West Outdoors, and Instagram at East Meets West Hunt. If you enjoyed today's episode, please review and subscribe and we'll catch you next time.